ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We are live and direct with Instructor Leo. Say hello, Leo. Hey, everybody out there in internet land. I'm Leo Pasca. So talk to me, brother. What's new in the world of growing? You uh, you teach our class here on Tuesdays um, in the evening, getting everybody, I would say, level two class. Um, definitely not for the... Uh, People who don't know the difference between an f- unfeminized seed and, uh, you know, definitely level two. Um, but go ahead, man. You have the floor. Hey there, everybody. Uh, I wanted to talk a little today about plants in general, about how they feed, about what that does to them, and about what that does to you once you interact with these plants, whether it be eating them, smoking them, looking at them. Whatever you're doing, there is a context that comes with it. Context is always king. Uh, Let's take a trip back for a minute, back about 200 years to Europe and Germany in the 1800s when Justice von Liebig, old-ass scientist, came up with the idea that nitrogen is what makes plants grow. And from there, within 50, 100 years, we had the Haber-Bosch process, we had industrial fertilizer production, we had vast increases in how much food we're able to grow world round, and like the guys from the Manhattan Project, this guy, Justice von Liebig, spent the second half of his life going around telling everybody, I have made a terrible mistake. I have put together a technology which, in the short term, has given us benefits that help, and in the long term, may destroy us all. And the reason for that is, when you look closely at plants and how they grow, you see that they don't do it on their own. It's not a machine sitting in a room operating all by itself. It's a part of a larger whole, a part of a gestalt, a part of a biological environment. And there's many, many players, millions of players, billions, trillions of players, really, involved in making plants grow. There's archaea and microbacteria, there's protozoa, there's all sorts of multicellular and unicellular organisms living in the dirt, living in the air, living on leaves, and they're all part of this process. And what Justice von Liebig realized, and what we are still in the process of realizing, is that we don't know all the players in the game. We can't come in with a whole bunch of nitrogen fertilizer and think that'll solve all our problems because it doesn't. It leads to things like the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. It leads to things like the continual erosion of the topsoil that's been going on all over the world. And it causes as many problems as it solves. So we've come up with these short-term solutions and we're patting ourselves on the back and we're thinking, great, we can feed the world But looking a few decades out, we're going to run into fertilizer shortages. We're going to run into non-sustainable resource issues. And there are proven techniques and methods that have kept this from happening for thousands of years. And it's only when we and our hubris decided that this was the way to go that those methods were abandoned. And we're now learning, especially as we hit challenges such as climate change, especially as the global population rises and shortages increase and scarcity increases, we're relearning that sustainability and that closed loop environments and ecosystems are not just selling points and not just marketing features, but absolutely requirements of any kind of long-term growth. So let me bring that back down to plants and why they're important to you on a personal level. 
because the plants that you eat and the way that you're eating them are not good for you. They're not good for us. They're contributing to diabetes and hyperthyroidism, lifestyle issues, heart disease, cancers. All these things can be fairly directly traced to the change in our lifestyles and the change in our diets in the new industrial age. And you don't have to take my word for it. There are a lot of people who've been doing this research independently. You can look at Dan Butner and his uh, books on the blue zones and the diets of people in Okinawa, Japan and Sardinia. Uh, Icaria, Costa Verde, the Seventh-day Adventists in California apparently have a hold on what they're supposed to be eating and how they're supposed to be living as well. And a lot of it comes down to where does your food come from? How is it being, you know, complemented? What's the context to how you're surviving? You know, I've always wondered what was, uh, whose idea was it to make me eat, and, oh, excuse me, to drink uh, orange juice first thing in the morning and milk first thing in the morning? You know? You know, because I think it makes like a cream. Like I've seen uh, when I used to go to, what was it, Golden Corral? I used to mix the little creams with the lime juice, the lemon juice. And uh, you can see like it hardens after a while. I'm like, oh, shoot, but I do that for breakfast. Is that why I get sick by 10 o'clock? You know what I mean? Like you have like a whole epiphany. But I'm like, but the food pyramid wouldn't hurt me, would it? Right. And that reaction is going on in your stomach just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not the same thing that happens when you pour them together on the kitchen counter. So the food pyramid, and to a greater extent, all the dietary rules that we've come up with are just that, rules. They were come up with by a human being. They're not divinely oriented or influenced, and they're not necessarily right. And we're finding out more and more that not just the rules themselves, but the way that you uh, disperse them, the way that you get them out into society affects how people react to them. Like when you were a kid and you were told you can't have this, that didn't make you say, okay, that's reasonable. I won't eat this. That made you think I want more of this. Right? So exactly. Yeah. Like curiosity. Part of it is acculturation and how do we get these kids to eat it? Are we eating it in front of them and saying, you know, do this because I'm doing it? Or are we eating something else and saying, but you have to have this? There's a lot of that. And there's a lot of what we're seeing more and more in the, the diets and the lifestyles that actually keep people active and keep them healthy into their 80s, into their 90s, into their hundreds are things that are not crazy diets it's not like you can't eat meat and you can't eat butter and you can't eat delicious foods you just maybe shouldn't eat as much of them maybe you should complement them with more vegetables maybe should and this is the big one not eat a fuck ton of processed foods every damn day alongside of it hmm. well they say food is medicine that's i'm exactly just now recently right. learning that uh how real that that really is that's exactly right. And there was a time, and it was not too long ago, when if you had a sniffle or were feeling tired or were, God forbid, constipated, your mom would cook something different for dinner that night. And she would take different herbs out of the garden, and it would be what you needed in order for your health to be better. But we don't, we don't have that knowledge on that level anymore. We don't teach people that. And we also have a different kind of expectation as far as medicine. We think that, okay, food is fuel and medicine is medicine. But you're right, you're absolutely right that food is medicine and when you're taking the wrong medicine, when you're taking aspirin every day in large hand fills instead of the one that you should have, you're going to be sick. Metaphysical tangent, uh, what is food? Fair point. It is, you know, the earth. It's all of the people that have come before and and to take your metaphysics and make it very dirty and gross. Here's a question I ask everybody all the time. 
what happens to your waste? You know, and we all know what I mean by that. And the answer is, it is the earth. It's the soil. It's what we grow food in now. What your great, 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 great grandfather was doing out in the outhouse is literally what your tomatoes are coming out of. So it's all circular. It's all recycling. And when you take that portion out of it and you do industrial fertilizers and you eat processed food, you're removing yourself from that cycle. And we're proving pretty empirically that your body doesn't like it when you do that. You get cancer. You get diabetes. You die young. You know, so if there was one thing that research into agriculture, research into hydroponics, which happens to be my specialty, and here's a little plug, come to Grow Club DC every Tuesday, 8.30 to 9.30, and I'll learn you. But if, uh, if there's anything that the research into those areas is showing us, it's that nutrition really comes from the context surrounding the plant. And how good it is for you has a lot to do with the person or organization that grew it, and whether they grew it with profit in mind or whether they grew it with health and the idea that food is medicine in mind hmm. it really makes me think about uh i think yamamoto uh, he's this guy who did a water raindrop experiment so he took a he took some water and he froze it with a certain intention set in his mind so like he would look at this jar and he was thinking like a real angry disruptive thought or whatever and then at the other jar he was he was thinking like a really like oh happy thankful gratitude i love this thank you you're gonna you know go ahead and 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 give me all kinds of life and, and, and nourishment or whatever right so the same water same jar same source and then he froze it and took pictures of the water at a microscopic level and it had froze differently the ones that were more uh abused i would say or uh negative, you know in, the emotions. intention was more disruptive more separate more uh uninclusive the not only did i think he did it with rice too not only did the rice stink and smell bad and was fermenting but the water samples was it looks like something from like a sewer or something like that and the uh the other water uh, looked like pretty snowflake geometric patterns and then the ones he, he put you know he used that water and put that on rice same rice same whatever and that rice started to smell sweet and ferment like a like a fine wine or something beginnings of a nice sake or something like that I don't know what sake is made out of but I would imagine that uh you know just that one experiment uh shows that it might be a little bit something else going on there with intention a magnetic you know it does that change you know, the magnetic area of it, or I don't know, man, like it's, it well, was, you, and you know, it just what? opens that, the door to that a lot of questions. feeling that you're having though, a lot of really advanced scientists, guys who are looking at the universe on a quantum level are starting to find those kind of concurrences, those kind of points where it really is the, the conscious intent that changes the way the actual world acts to an extent that is Schrodinger's, um, question the whole cat in the box thing you is it know. dead or alive exactly exactly but it's not until we our conscious minds act on the universe that these things change and whether it's and i saw that uh that art installation you were talking about i think i was in new york and they had it on a subway platform somewhere mm. like an explanation of it and the pictures and the whole thing and it was fucking insane how different those different droplets of water mm. were from one to the other just because of what he was thinking how crazy is that? Yeah. So the idea that like the vector to vector relationships exactly what four D space? I don't know, man. So it's crazy. Like we could we could have a whole nother show talking absolutely. about uh, 
talking well, about if these there's sides. one thing that I could leave you guys at the end of this talk about plants and how they go into you and what that does to you, it's riffing off what Novi was just saying. Think about what the person who was producing it or the organization who was producing it had as a motive before you partake of some product. If you're eating food, is it industrially produced by someone who wants money or is it made by a farmer who wants healthy neighbors? If you're smoking a little reefer, is it grown by the guy down the street who wants a good strain or is it grown by some dude in Mexico? Think about it. Dang, brother. And with that, uh, thanks for listening to Girl Club Radio.